Good morning, Canberra. Welcome to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show, your dose of science on a Sunday morning from 11.30 till 12.30. So, are we all sky-fired out from last night? It was pretty exciting stuff. Um, but today we're not going to be talking about fireworks. That would be the typical thing to do, right? Talk about the science of fireworks and all that sort of stuff. Today, we are talking about something a little bit different, um, and it's around the... I won't tell you what the topic is too yet, but I'll, I'll give you a bit of a tip, a hint, I should say. What we're talking about today is something that has over 1 billion users, hundreds of millions of hours of clips, 300 hours of videos are uploaded every minute to this certain website. Are you getting a bit closer to what this might be? It's available in 75 countries, available in 61 languages, and over half watch on a mobile device. So, do we think we know what we're talking about? Yeah, I think many of you out there will know. Today, we are talking about YouTube and how to create, first of all, a popular or a potentially a viral YouTube video, but also about keeping those people coming back to your YouTube channel. And so, how to create a popular YouTube channel, essentially. So today, joining me in the studio, we have uh, Dustin Wellborn, who is a science communicator and also currently undertaking his PhD at the University of New South Wales. So welcome, Dustin, to the show, and thanks for joining me today. G'day, Ian. Thanks for having me. So, Dustin, you've recently written an article uh, in The Conversation, which was based on our paper that you published in The Public Understanding of Science. And it was around what makes a popular science video on YouTube. And you essentially have given your readers seven tips on creating a popular YouTube channel, is how you refer to it. Um, So today, as we're talking about what makes a popular YouTube uh, channel and a popular YouTube video, we might actually play a couple of those YouTube clips for you. Um, For example, currently the most popular YouTube clip um, of a science-based sort of topic has around 16 million views. And what we might actually compare that to is the most popular video on YouTube, which has over 2 billion YouTube views. And so what makes that one so popular compared to a science-based video clip? And is it just because of the, the topic or all that sort of stuff? Um, but I think just as important, what brings those viewers back? And that's something that we want to talk to you about today. So, the first thing that we have talked about in your in your paper is choose your audience. So, when creating a YouTube video and a YouTube channel, it's very important to think about your audience. So, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, that one of the issues with uh, science communication and talking about let's make a video, people might say, well, I just want to make a science video, but there's a lot of audiences within that Uh, science framework as you might say so some people are watching a science video because they're interested in science other people might be watching it to learn something that they can take to the classroom so a good example of this is someone like Khan Academy their videos are very instructional you can go on and watch a set of videos and learn calculus for example but if you wanted to just learn about uh, topical science you might watch a different channel because they cover it in a different way then there's other channels like um, Symphony of Science their videos are more outreach, it's more entertainment than than really learning something, but it's put in a science context. So there's different audiences and people watch these things for different types of reasons. Yeah, no, that's definitely um, an interesting point. Um, so making a specific popular science video, um, what might one have to think about when doing that if we're talking about a science topic specifically? Well, first of all, yeah, you have to identify who your audience is. So if you're interested in just communicating to under 20-year-olds or or even just teenagers, you need to identify that uh, audience and and what you're going to talk to them about, obviously. And so your pitch then needs to be relatable to that audience. You're not going to be talking about things that are happening in the 1960s or 70s with references to that time if if your audience doesn't understand it. So you need to really understand who you're talking to specifically in in a very specific way. It can't be so blasé to say, well, I just want to make science stuff, and off you go. So you need to define that audience first and foremost 
I think in the article we, we talk about then working out what you're going to talk about, what topics actually interest you. So what we find in, in the YouTube study, what we found was that a lot of the channels that are popular usually stick to one sort of audience. So they're Khan Academy, for example, they're, they're a popular channel, but they stick to a very instructional type of video. So they're after that audience that are interested in instructional videos. Whereas someone like Veritasium or Minute Physics or ASAP Science, they're more like a, I guess you'd say something like a video version of a magazine, science magazine article. And that's the type of audience that they're after. So you can watch one of those videos. You not, couldn't necessarily, <clears throat> excuse me, you couldn't necessarily go away and sit a test on it. But it's interesting information. It's packaged in a nice way. It's nice and quick. And they stick to that type of delivery and that type of audience. Yeah, very excellent point, I suppose. So your number two point was the way that the video is actually delivered. So you refer to that as delivering in style. Um, so tell us a bit about what you mean by that. Yes, in the study, we, we found that there's a number of different styles of delivery on YouTube. And this probably comes from a little bit of experiment. When we watch television, we're so used to just... For example, if you watch the news channel, you're so used to just seeing talking heads and they just talk to the camera. If you're watching a, a drama, you're watching something be played out. So we're used to seeing people in front of the camera. Uh, on YouTube, uh, an iconic version of, of delivering information to YouTube or to your YouTube audience is called the vlog. So it's a talking head person just talking to a camera. Uh, then you can go to something like animation. So the AS, ASAP Science Channels or Minute Physics, they use voiceover animation. So they have an animation going on and they're just talking over it. You generally don't see that in, in the TV world unless you're watching, obviously, a cartoon, but it, but it's represented as people on the screen. So you don't generally just see hands in front of the camera on TV just because that's not the TV model. But on YouTube, you can have all these different styles. You can watch presentations, TED Talks, for example. You can watch uh, interviews, short interviews. So YouTube allows a flexibility to present information in different ways. Having said that, though, what you find is that many of the really popular channels are sticking to a single style. They're not chopping and changing. They're usually using a, a defined set of styles rather than one week it being an interview and the next week it's a presentation by some unknown person and the next week they're talking to the camera. So they're usually sticking to one thing and that builds up a familiarity with the channel, with your audience. Yeah, good point. And um, the, you mentioned ASAP Science, which is a really popular uh, YouTube channel and they're... Um, all their clips are very um, similar in the way that they're delivered um, and and the way that they use sort of, like you said, animation um, and, and the way that they talk as well is, is very similar. Um, an interesting one, though, that I just found the other day was there was this really good video that was produced by Syro um, because, as many of our listeners will know, I actually am currently a science communicator for Alzheimer's Australia. Um, it was actually about the way that Alzheimer's disease works in the brain. It was an amazing clip. It was in 3D. Um, it was like it would have taken years to work on this animation. It was really, like, visual and all that sort of stuff. A lot of people were commenting in the comment box about the voiceover. Um, it sounded like just some guy that potentially created the clip. I think it was the guy that created it. Um, and they were noticing that he had a very monotonous voice. Um, it wasn't very, it wasn't very interestingly delivered the way that he was sort of explaining his video. And it got me thinking, are people focused too much on that now? When they see something that's annoying them, they're not actually taking in the information anymore. So are they actually even learning about what's going on and what that clip is, is showing? Or is it just the fact that they're like, oh, man, that voice really annoys me. Why couldn't they got a better voiceover? Um, so I thought that was kind of really um, goes to your point of, of the way that you deliver the YouTube clip is very important. Yeah, absolutely. This issue about voice just had me grinning there that um, you don't want to have distractions in any of your content really at all. And if the voice is a distraction, even though it, on, for all intents and purposes, you might look at it and say, well, that's fine, that's a fine voice. If your audience starts to find that distracting, it's a distraction. And it's going. people then watching that video are going to lose the message. We can't all have Benedict Cumberbatch's voice and have great voiceovers or or the voice of Darth Vader, for, except, for example. So you have to make sure that there are no distractions going on. Even little things like if, if you have a, a little bit of text over something, you might be talking about something, there's a little bit of text there. If that's misspelt, that's an instant distraction that some of your audience are going to pick up on. And so you just don't want to have any distractions like that, even if it is a voice. 
Yeah, so what I forgot to point out at the beginning was that this paper actually looked at 400 different science communication videos and I suppose channels as well. So your number three point was to stay focused. And we've already spoken a bit about that, about, you know, making sure that you're consistent in the way that you deliver it, but also around the type of research that you're presenting, I suppose. And, you, you know, there's physics channels out there, um, there's biology ones and, and those sorts of things, which are very popular because they're about a specific topic of research. So in your findings, did you find that those channels were more popular than the ones that kind of just covered any topic of science there does seem to be that we're unable to really get at that data because of the or, or get at the results from that data because of the um the sampling process we use what we found was that a lot of channels tend to stick to a singular type of topic uh, so the popular ones generally so minute physics is talking about physics often uh, veritasium there's a lot of physics in there with a there's a small amount of biology asap science has a lot of biological content um, Viheart, for example, she talks a lot about maths. So uh, w- what we find is that channels generally, especially all the popular channels, generally stick to one type of topic. Uh, and channels that aren't so popular seem to spread across different topics, but we're not sure whether whether having just one topic drives popularity, but it does seem to be there is a correlation there between having just one topic. And I think this has more to do with the familiarity effect. If I subscribe to, let's say I'm interested in Lego, and there's a channel that that all they talk about is Lego, and then they start talking about, I don't know, matchbox cars or whatever they are, well, I'm not interested in those. I'm just interested in Lego. So stop showing me these other videos and other things. And it's the same in different genres. So a channel that uh, does movie reviews generally don't also do uh, reviews on video games and if they do it's a very minor section so the channel is known for the movie reviews and it's not known for the other things and i think that solidifies your audience as well i'm watching this guy because he's going to give me video game reviews and i'm watching this one because he's going to give me my science so there's not one channel that's covering everything because then the content just becomes all over the place what's this person really doing what are they talking about so you need to stick to a, a similar theme Sounds like common sense, doesn't it? But I guess in science, a lot of the time, common sense doesn't really come to fruition. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's excellent points that you made. But I wanted to go back. You were talking about your sample process and how you um, sent what basically picked 400 videos to, to review and to analyze in this study. So tell us about how you picked those 400 videos. Okay, well, the sampling process was a clustered sampling approach. So basically what you do is you take a sample of of a of a thing and then you take a sample of those samples basically so that's the easiest way to think of a clustered sample so you can imagine taking um 50 handfuls of jelly beans out of a jar and then out of those 50 handfuls you're taking a small sample of each 50 handfuls and then you're working with that those that second set of samples as your baseline the reason for that if we just picked if we went onto youtube and said well let's just get 400 videos then you have the problem of well, how am I going to select these 400 videos? Well, if you just type in science into YouTube, because of the YouTube algorithm, you're going to get the top science videos, and that's not necessarily what we want, because then you're going to have a biased data set from the start. So the process we used was to sample a set of YouTube channels first. So what we had worked out that we needed about 400 videos to derive any conclusions, and so from that we thought, well, okay, we need about 40 channels then, and we'll use those 40 channels to take a sample of 10 videos from each of those channels and that'll give us a good broad section of the YouTube community from very good channels to very poor channels. So that was the way we had to to do the sampling process and we selected those channels from the Social Blade metric who monitor YouTube channels broadly. So they have lists of channels. We use their education list and their science and technology list because you can't just use one list. Something like Veritasium, for example, even though I'd call it science communication, it actually falls into the education list because that's what, when they set the channel up, that's what they put it under. And that's fine, but using just the YouTube uh, categories doesn't necessarily reflect what the, what is really going on on the channel. So a science communication channel might fall into science technology, but it might also fall into education. So we sampled from the education and the science and technology list uh, to get our channels, and then from those channels we selected, we didn't select, we just randomly took 10 videos from each of those 40 channels that fell into the category of well this is a science communication category but to to get those 40 channels i must say to start with we had to go through more than 400 channels just because a lot of channels 
even though they're in the same list, they're not necessarily science communication. For example, Khan, Khan Academy didn't fall into our into our categorization as science communication because it was more about instructional, and we weren't interested in instructional. We're interested in how do you communicate to the public about science generally. So how did you find that? Watching around 400, probably more, YouTube video clips, you probably would have seen some shocking ones out there, but also some um, good ones, I suppose. So what do you think made the best YouTube uh, video that you saw, uh, if you can pick one, and what do you think made the worst one? And I know that we've still got to go through a few of these tips out here, but tell yeah. us a bit about what you think might make a good and a bad YouTube clip, particularly in science. Well, there's, I guess there's two issues there. What I think is probably really asking me a subjective opinion on what I really like. Um, I really like the, the Veritasium video that's on the Conversation article, which is about light, where he's talking with the public uh, that to me is one of the best science communication clips I've seen. It, it incorporates a, a really strong message about the science, but it also has the public um, perception that that around light as a science topic as well. And it shows a change in attitude or a change in thinking about what light is. So it it's a great piece of science communication. Um, on the other side of that, bad science communication videos. I'd hate to say often come from often come from. <laughs> Uh, big corporations. Yeah, uh, where you're going to go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> universities, um, people that have have jumped onto YouTube to extend their brand name, really. And and I think that I think it's to do with partly because maybe the department that are putting the the videos together aren't familiar with what YouTube is as a platform, and it, and it does require different thinking or different playing around with what you need to deliver. There's also the often branding every time you watch a a university video or something often they'll start with 10 or 15 seconds of branding so straight away you're getting bored um the way the delivery is done is often very stifled it has to be controlled a lot so yeah i often find that the the bad ones generally come from from those corporate places and and they're really they're probably one of the best for me has been that veritasian one but but having said that, a lot of those uh, do fall into the study we found as well. So it's not just the subjective opinion. A lot of the, the, the data falls into those categories as well. Yeah, well, we might come um, back to that um, in, in a couple of minutes. But I thought today an interesting thing to do would be to play music based on the most popular YouTube video clips out there. So the first song that I'm actually going to play for you today is... This is hopefully not going to lose our audience out there, but it's had over... 2,268,000,000 views on YouTube. Does anyone think they know what it is? It, it uh, broke YouTube. It broke YouTube, <laughs> yeah. So say it with me now. We are about to listen to Psy singing his amazing Gangnam Style. Are you still out there, listeners? I'm sorry that we had to do that to you, but we were just saying in the, in the studio that it is quite a catchy song. Um, but, you know, this is a, a good example of what is a viral YouTube clip and, and what is a popular YouTube clip. So, um, Dustin asked me, he was like, Oh, have you listened to this before? I was like, Yeah, of course, I've seen it. And he's like, And did you subscribe to the channel? And I was like, I did not subscribe to the channel. So this is what we're talking about today. You're listening to 2XX on 98.3 FM. You might be listening on the radio live, or you could also be listening to our podcast, which is the Fuzzy Logic podcast, which is available through the iTunes store. So thank you for downloading and listening. So today we are talking about how do you make a popular science YouTube video and channel, keeping your audience coming back each each week or day or however much you decide to uh, to create those clips. And in the studio with me we have Dustin Wellburn, who actually wrote a paper um, in the Public Understanding of Science journal about this very topic. So once again, welcome, Dustin. Hey, you doing? So, as uh, before we went to that beautiful song by Sai, uh, we were talking about how your your seven tips for making a popular YouTube channel. So, for those that have just joined in, number one was around choosing your audience and the importance of, of your target audience in creating a popular YouTube channel. And then we were talking about how you deliver 
the videos and and how you keep delivering them, staying consistent, um, and then staying focused and to the point as well. Is your channel about a variety of science topics or is it about a specific area of science? So is it about physics, biology, chemistry? So those were the first three things that we talked about. So number four on the list was getting to the point. Um, and before the break, we were just talking about um, how some um, organizations out there do spend a fair bit of their time branding their videos. And so the first 15 minutes, oh, 15 minutes, 15 <laughs> seconds, in some cases, 15 minutes, 15 seconds, 30 seconds might actually just be an organization's logo and their theme music and that sort of stuff. Um, but with YouTube, you want to actually keep your audience captive. And so, Dustin, tell us about the importance of getting to the point, which is something that I just did not do. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Um, You you need to get to your point in in your video for numerous reasons. Let's start with if your channel's big enough to have pre-roll ads. So if you go onto YouTube and you watch any video and they do have pre-roll ads, that's the little ad that starts up and it'll... It'll either go for, say, four or five seconds, and then you can skip through it, or it'll go for the full 15 seconds. Even just the five seconds, and then you can skip through. You add that onto the start of a 10-second or 15-second introduction, your audience is sitting there for 20-odd seconds waiting for information. When on the sidebar, if you go onto YouTube, on that sidebar, there's a whole stack of other videos there to watch, and I can just click on those if oh, I need And the to. fact that you have to watch 30 seconds of an ad as well, you're already annoyed. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so you just want to get straight to the information. Uh, so don't brand it or put logos in there. All that sort of stuff, all the logo things can be put at the end. And some corporations do do this well, so it's not fair to, to tar them all with the same brush. Uh, some some organizations, Nottingham Science videos that are made by Brady Harron, uh, the periodic videos, number file, computer file, they do a very good job of that, of, of branding the video in a way that doesn't get in the way of the information, doesn't uh, cause the audience to want to click onto something else. So there is that problem, the click-through effect, where you want to just get to the information very quickly, start what you're talking about very quickly, don't introduce yourself. Don't introduce your channel. You don't have to introduce the video. I've seen a number of videos where the video starts and they'll start by saying, well, what we're going to talk about today is, and off they go into two minutes of this is what I'm going to talk about before you even get to the I'm actually now talking about it. You don't need to do any of that. The title of the video should be enough to tell the audience what we're talking about is Brussels sprouts. Off we go. Yeah, and I think it's important, um, this kind of really relates back to knowing your audience as well, because we were talking about in the break as well about um, how your audience, um, or the videos that you might produce, let's say you're a research institute, and your first five videos might be hour-long seminars, and you're like, oh, there might be people out there that are in these hour-long seminars. Um, that's probably going to be a very captive audience, potentially, that want to watch these hour-long seminars, or it is actually better getting that presenter and sitting him in front of a camera for three minutes and getting him to say the main findings of his talk for three minutes to the audience rather than just representing that hour-long seminar and as we were talking about might be bad sound you might not actually be able to see the powerpoint slides that he's referring to um yeah and are you actually going to sit there for an hour and watch it um so these are all things that i guess you need to think about absolutely um, yeah yeah, yeah there you have to realize that there are different audiences i i um, <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't admit it, but I do. I watch a lot of YouTube, uh, but I will watch. I will watch an hour-long seminar. That surprises if me. <laughs> if I'm interested in it, I'll watch an hour-long YouTube video, uh, with, without a doubt. Um, but I also will watch three-minute videos. But these things are, are pitched at different audiences, and and universities and some organisations have a tendency to use YouTube as this video hosting platform. Now, admittedly, it is a video hosting platform in in principle. But the community of YouTube did not necessarily see it that way. It is a social network. It's a place where we come and share information. So just posting up videos of Bill and Ted's physics lectures might be interesting to that physics class, and it provides that physics class somewhere to go to look at them uh, if you want to deliver content online. But the YouTube audience, if you're trying to build a YouTube audience, it's probably not going to work if you've got that mixed in with all these other things because there's no consistency of the channel. You're not sure what you're going to get. And and the audience you're attracting 
are probably going to be attracted to certain key things of of the content you're delivering. Mm, yeah, excellent points. And that was an excellent segue, segue into number five, which was <laughs> being part of the community and making sure that you understand what YouTube is and, and who the YouTube audience is. In fact, um, now that I think about it, I don't think that I have a login to YouTube. So they probably don't really know who I am, for example. Um, Google knows everything. Okay, well, Google probably <laughs> does know who I am then. <laughs> and they own YouTube. Um, but, yeah, in a lot of cases, I guess, yeah, do they understand and, and, and does the does the person that's creating the, the clip understand who they're trying to target? And like we were saying, is the viral clip actually getting people to subscribe to your channel? Um, and I guess being consistent is, is, is a... Um, important way of doing that so should i play number two the most popular um youtube clip it's it's one that might annoy people out there um so it's had over one billion one hundred and forty five million views it was created in 2010 and we were actually talking about dustin was saying that when um when psy uh was released that gangnam style it actually broke youtube because the counter didn't go up that high so how high did the counter go uh broke youtube's counter i think it stopped it it was somewhere in the it's some odd number in the billions uh, but there is a great number file video or it could be a computer file video about Psy breaking the YouTube counter and it, and it talks about the it talks about some of the programming that goes on behind it and how they had to fix it but the reasons why it broke yeah so I wonder if anything will ever beat Psy um, I don't think this one will but it's the second most popular YouTube clip it's another music clip this is it oh should I keep going? I'm cringing already. Oh, uh, Are people tuning out? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I can't do that to you. It's all right. I'll stop it right there. But I will play um, another song so to have a bit of a break. So I'll now play uh, Mika. And you're probably all thinking this right now. So relax. Take it easy. How are we feeling on our Sunday? It's relaxing, taking it easy. That's what we're doing in the studio of Fuzzy Logic. You're listening to your Sunday dose of science from 11.30 till 12.30 every Sunday on 2XXFM 98.3. And today we are talking about the science behind creating a YouTube channel. Is there actually a proper way of doing it or do you just go for gold and then try your hardest and hope that it works. So we're kind of, what we're doing today is comparing viral YouTube clips, things that get millions and millions of views, compared to sustaining your audience. So actually keeping your audience coming back each week to, to what you're producing. And in the studio with me, we have Dustin Wellborn, who co-wrote an article um, with co-author Dr. Will Grant from the Australian National University about how you actually create a popular YouTube channel. And in his research, Dustin actually analysed with Will 400 different YouTube clips based on science, technology and education. And he has come up with seven tips on creating a popular YouTube channel. And we've spoken about five of those uh, tips. And number six is about giving the audience an anchor. So that one sounds a little bit interesting. What do you mean by that, Dustin? Giving the audience an anchor really refers to having some continuity between video to video. So the the idea of um, if you're putting your videos up and you, you might have a number of people that you could use to put in your videos, let's say there's a team of 10 people putting these videos together, rather than using all 10 people presenting information across a whole series of different videos, just pick one or two. And you, just using those people in the videos consistently gives the audience that anchor. So every time I, for example, if, if I log on to Veritasium, I'm watching that, that channel, I'm going to see Derek Mueller presenting the information. Now, if I never liked uh, him in the first instance, I didn't like his delivery style or whatever it might be, I just, I don't like that person delivering the information, I'm going to go off to another channel. So even if there was multiple people delivering information on that channel, I probably wouldn't have stuck with it anyway because I wouldn't have really found the one that I really liked. 
But as soon as you do like the person on that channel, they deliver in a nice way. I, I like the way the person talks, their tempo, their mannerisms, whatever it might be. Once you st- once you uh, connect with that person, you've made that connection. Okay, here's someone I like and trust, and what have you. If you switch to other people, then you, you start to get into that same area. Well, hang on, I don't like these other people. I-, I just like this this one person. So sticking with just one person delivering information, or or very limited number of people delivering the information, is is advantageous. Now, th- certainly with voiceover animation type videos, having the same voice in each video just gives a continuity to each video that the audience comes to rely on now of course one of the big exceptions here are the ted channel so the ted is um, as most people probably know ted is a presentation by people um, different people around the world and they're just talking to an audience or the big think channel which are interviewing certain people that has a different flavor than your normal everyday youtube channel purely because it has that starstruck effect when you go on to TED, you're likely going to see big people. You're going to see Bill Gates giving a talk. Bill Gates is not going to make his own channel, but he'll give a talk on TED. Uh, the same with Big Think. You're going to see people interviewed. So they, they have a different flavor to them, a different feel to them that you don't get with the uh, the other channels, which are usually grown on YouTube, the homegrown type channels. Yeah, so um, you actually developed TEDx Talks in Canberra. You uh, sort of created that program, I believe. No, I, no? I spoke at one of them. You spoke. So there, there has been a TED Talk in Canberra. Yeah. Yeah, where yeah. was that? I saw your um, your YouTube clip through your Twitter account. Right, it looked okay. like it was in a big a big hall that somewhere. That was the Canberra Theatre. Oh, the Canberra yeah. Theatre, yeah. So you have given a TED Talk before. How did yeah. you felt that went? It was it was great. It was a great audience. It was a great uh, day. Um doing the event it was a lot of interesting feedback and it was a good atmosphere but that type of that type of thing for a video is slightly different than what i might present that in a different way for a video than what i would on a on a ted stage because you're talking to different people but it was a great fun event yeah and you must know how many people have watched your tedx talk uh, yeah, I think so. I haven't really looked at the video. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't looked yet. <laughs> I don't like looking at myself on video. <laughs> so number 7 on the list it's our final one. It says, be a person, not a company. So this one kind of makes sense. But do you want to talk about this one a bit more? Yeah, th- this this really amalgamates a whole host of other issues uh, that, that are going on in the background that really feed through to the feel. And it's very hard to quantify some of these problems, I guess, in, in because of the metrics. It's so hard to measure this. Well, what do we mean by the feel of a video? So these things are quite difficult to measure. But in qualitative terms, it's... Uh, it's generally easy just to say, well, what's the feel of the video? So if the person's getting up and talking and, and they're, you first see a logo come on and then you've got the fancy graphics and then the person's talking to the camera and you can f- you feel it's very stifled, you can hear them just going over a script, they're not animated, there's no passion in their voice, you start to get this feel of, oh, this is just a bit of a corporate message going on. And, and though that type of delivery style works well for maybe a television ad because you have 30 seconds so you need to get the information right, it, it doesn't really work on YouTube. You get the sense of, well, this is just some company pitching me something and I'd rather go off to someone who's going to give it to me on a personal level. So you, you want to try and keep your, your channel very personal. And, and even though you still need a script, you still need to know what you're talking about. You, can, you can't just ramble on for 20 minutes like I am. You need to have some focus, but you don't want it to have so much focus that it loses all personality altogether. So I, I got this idea of that the, the channels that are doing really well on YouTube are doing Science Plus. Okay, so it's the science plus there's some character, there's some personality that's happening in the background. They're, they're bringing something of themselves into the video. It might be some quirkiness. Um, it might be just the clothes they're wearing. It might be just the way they explain things. There's something about it that gives it, it's the science plus something else. It's not a, a uh, very stripped down bare presentation. Yeah, so. Sorry, let me turn my microphone up. Yeah, so, um, one thing that I wanted to do today for our audience was actually explain one of these popular uh, YouTube channels. So one of the ones we've been talking about today has been called is called ASAP Science, ASAP Science. It has over 3.5 million subscribers. It's one of the most popular ones out there on YouTube. It's um, run by two Canadian gentlemen. Um, their most popular video, which came first, the chicken or the egg has had over 16 million views. Um, and they have a very unique way of um, of developing and, and creating their YouTube clips. Now, I'm going to try uh, something right now, and that's 
play uh, their one of their interviews, which goes for about 10 minutes, which is behind the scenes of ASAP Science, and it's called The Science of ASAP Science. So fingers crossed this one works. Over the past year, we've shown you the ins and outs of some crazy science. But have you ever wondered whose hands these are or how these videos are made? You're about to find out. And I'm Mitch, and we're the creators of ASAP Science, and we thought it'd be cool to give you guys a behind-the-scenes look at how we create the episodes, who we are, and what we do. So instead of doing a Draw My Life, because we're always drawing our science videos, we're doing a Real Life My Life. Hey, we put out a video asking you guys to give us questions, so we're going to answer a few questions, we're going to take you on a little behind-the-scenes of how our videos are made, and that's what we're going to do today. So the first question is, which country do you live in? One, two, three. Canada! <laughs> what is your educational background? So I went to the University of Guelph where I took biological science and I minored in studio art. And then after that I went to Teachers College where I learned how to become a teacher at U of T, the University of Toronto. And for the last year I've actually been in the UK teaching the Folkestone Academy. Shout out! Uh, I also went to the University of Guelph and had a biological science degree. And I'm clearly less educated because that's where it ended for me. <laughs> but then I worked in some labs and just... Simple mind. Yeah, simple mind. Next question. What made you start the channel? Uh, well, we just thought YouTube was pretty cool. And we had seen some other, you know, educational channels out there that we thought were really effective. And we just sort of thought, like, we love science. We love explaining science to people. Why don't we start up this channel? That's kind of like quick, accessible science. More specifically for people who didn't think they liked science. We thought it'd be awesome to, you know, reach out to people who think science is boring or think science sucks or didn't get to go as far as we did to find out those really awesome things. Because when you're in high school, sometimes science can seem boring and they don't teach you the really awesome things. I think one of the first thoughts we had is that we had lots of friends around us and what we'd like to do, like kind of when we were all hanging out, was explain to them specific science concepts that we knew in like a simple way that we thought they would engage them. That was one of our first light bulbs when we thought we should probably do this in a medium where more people can access it. So the next question is, how did you think of and make up the ASAP Science logo? So we had like a big old chart with like names related to science and you know, there was like a couple of them we wanted and the YouTube channel was already Some taken or so Twitter names. Bad. Yeah. But how? <laughs> There's like Ever Wonder, Quick Science. No, Ever Wonder was good. Yeah, we did. Uh, so then eventually we were just like ASAP Science and we're fans of ASAP Rocky. We were like, that's a pretty sweet name and like as soon as possible science. That was cool. That kind of conveyed the message we wanted to get across. But the S is not a dollar sign in ours. Yeah, unfortunately <laughs> we're not making as much money as him. In terms of logo, if you watch our very, very first video, um, we didn't even have a logo. We just drew it out, the, the ASAP Science name. And in my mind, I was like, you know, every time we're going to change it up. So the second video, we ended up making this ASAP Science logo. But then after that, we got a little bit lazy and then decided to just use that footage over and then over and uh, and then this ended up becoming our, our logo forever. How do you choose your topics? Well, uh, when we first started, we actually, we you know, we had a list of stuff that we come up before even starting the channel, stuff that we thought was cool from university or our friends had asked before, and so we just compiled a big list. You are all approaching us through Facebook and Twitter and actually in the YouTube comments. So I do spend a lot of time reading all your Facebook comments and YouTube comments. I have a list on my phone of 275 topics that are really, really genius that have been thought of by you. So that's something that we really appreciate. What is the process of making a video? Um, why don't we just go show you? So this is our office space, our new office space. Uh, okay, so the first step is figuring out an idea. So sometimes it'll be based on breakthroughs in science that we find interesting or books we've read. Or what happens is a lot of the time we don't know everything. So we got a lot of great ideas from you and we have to figure out what the answers are and how we're going to actually create a video from the information. And that involves research. So the second step is doing research with books, a lot of times online, using peer-reviewed journals and articles, and we like to use PubMed, Google Scholar, and websites that can get us to those types of information. Uh, we've got lots of markers. Um, we're in the business of markers. Sadly, there's I should have kept all the ones originally. I used to check them out after they started going dry, but um, <laughs> they, they do. I usually just kind of set them up here, and I've got you know everything ready to go. <laughs> Millions of whiteboard markers. Um, I'll make a graveyard for them one day. <laughs> Generally, once we have the script, I just come over here. We we don't actually like, finalize the script until we're drawing. And so you've got the camera just pointing down on the whiteboard and you can just draw. 
So even though Mitch has been drawing on a whiteboard a lot this year, originally we had the idea of sort of animations and explaining science through art because actually I'm an artist and a lot of the time I would like to blend science and art together. So these are paintings that I created of proteins. Um, they're visual depictions of proteins through a software called Primal. They're very delicate, intricate images, so I used them and then I painted them on a canvas using oil paint. And lastly, this is Bjork, who's a huge inspiration for us. She blends art and science in a very special way that we really look up to. So here is our fancy state-of-the-art recording studio. As you can see, all the things you need, uh, clothes on the left, towels and blankets on the right. I basically set it up with, with um, blankets and stuff. Uh, just to like pad the noise, right? Because you want to have like a room where there's not a lot of echo, so you can just kind of get dry vocals. Dreams are an amazing phenomenon, and considering you spend roughly six years of your life dreaming, it's quite curious that we often brush them aside to be quickly forgotten. But what are dreams? And like the many science fiction stories or movies, could we ever record and figure out what we're seeing while we're dreaming? So basically, you bring the footage, so we have tons of different clips from the video and we have different, like an audio that I've now edited and so I have to match up the video footage with the recorded audio. So it's not the other way around. Some people think I talk to the video footage, but instead we like record one audio track and then I come and take the video and sort of like stream it all together, the different clips, uh, to add up to the timing of the video. So the last step is to add the music. Usually we use the original song that I wrote, but every now and then I feel like, you know, writing a new song or adding a new jingle that suits that video perfectly. Um, so I'm, I'm a musician and I have a music background. You can check out my own stuff at mitchellmoffitt.com um, to listen to my own music there. Um, but it was just a nice way to incorporate my own interests into the videos and have music and science kind of collaborate on the ASAP Science channel. So what are your jobs outside of ASAP Science? I've always wanted to know. Well, I just completed a year of teaching abroad in the UK in a place called Folkestone where I taught science. It was a really amazing experience. I got to actually do practicals and experiments and engage with the classroom really well. As well as on the side, I'd go home and help with this YouTube channel and engage millions of people. A year ago, we didn't really know that that could be a job, right? Like you just kind of start for fun and then it picks up. Now it's both of our full-time jobs. Both of us full-time jobs, yeah. <laughs> Are you planning on collaborating with SciShow, Vsauce, Minute Physics, or any other science-related channel? Yeah, we'd love to, totally. I mean, we had the chance to sort of collaborate with um, Vsauce 3, Jake, and hopefully we'll get to do that again. And we also just got to collaborate with Bill Nye, our like dream come true, which was really cool. Did you fight over who got to narrate the videos? <laughs> No. His voice is a lot better than mine. I narrated two of them, and it's true, I sound like the honey badger. Ever wonder why both coffee and alcohol have the unfortunate tendency to make you pee? Reveal one of your biggest secrets. <laughs> um... Oh my god, I can't think of any that are appropriate. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> Please sing for us in that voice, Mitchell. That would be so damn awesome. <laughs> Floor is yours. Um, like the periodic table song? Or like Whitney Houston? <laughs> no. Where did you learn how to draw? I didn't really, like I just, Greg's actually has an art degree, and then, but he was in a different country, so I had to start drawing and was like drawing. So I would just kind of, you know, look up different images of cartoons and try and figure it out and try to make it as simple as possible, which added to our aesthetic. Everyone says, oh, I can't do art. Anyone can do art. It's about practice, and it's about teaching yourself, and it's about just making sure you figure out the craft. What is your favorite movie? 2001, Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick. For reasons that we all know. What is your favorite video game? Zelda. It's the best video game ever made. Uh, I'm obsessed with it. I've played every Zelda game and it's awesome. So, does the research of your videos ever change your lives? Yes, I think it does. So, for example, after we did the scientific power of naps, we are power nap gurus now. In fact, I have power naps every day and I always make sure they're less than 20 minutes and I, I honestly think it does help. Mm -hmm. Coffee and alcohol. Consume those a lot. Yeah, hangover cure. Pee a lot. Hangover cure. And stuff like productivity. You know, you like you learn yeah. about it and then you're like, or procrastination. You're like, I can't procrastinate now. I just told like a million people to stop procrastinating. So then there's tips. A lot of the videos we have tips and we give examples of things you should do. And we, it's a lot easier to follow them now. I mean, we're learning when we're making these videos just in the same way that you're learning when you watch them. And it definitely affects our lives. Hopefully in the same way that they affect yours as well. 
Thanks for watching this special episode of ASAP Science. And if you want to follow us on Instagram or Twitter, personally, the links will be in the description below. As always, got a burning question? Ask it in the comments or on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe for more weekly science videos. So, you haven't gone into an alternative universe. We were combining both YouTube and radio just then, so we were actually playing a clip from YouTube, which was about the science behind ASAP Science, which is a popular YouTube channel. So, for those that may have just joined us, today we're actually talking about the science behind creating a popular YouTube clip and and then keeping your audience coming back by creating a popular YouTube channel. And it's actually, we've actually, as we've been talking about it, figured out that there's quite a, a process behind it and quite an understanding of, of what you need to be thinking about. So in the studio with me is Dustin Wellborn, who's from the University of New South Wales and a fellow science communicator who actually wrote this paper for the journal Public Understanding of Science. Uh, so we were just watching um, the two boys that have created ASAP Science um, and we were listening to their interview um, and it basically for them started off as a hobby. They wanted to engage more people in in science um, and they used all their skills. So we learned there that they had music skills, art skills, they had done science degrees um, and they decided to create a YouTube channel which now has over 3.5 million subscribers and it has turned into their full-time job. And so we were talking about, um, while that clip was playing, about how do you actually make a profession out of a YouTube channel? Um, and Dustin, you had some good points about that. Yeah, it's it, when you look at what people earn on YouTube, sometimes the figures look great and, and people say, oh, these people must be making a lot of money or making a decent amount of money. But then on the other side of that, some people that have done research into it, and you see the articles come out every so often, show that uh, even though you might... Uh, the, the channel might generate a lot of money. YouTube and Google are going to obviously take a slice of that cash as well. So the, the people at the end of the day may not be actually banking a lot, especially if you have production costs overhead. You have to buy a camera or you might have to cut something together or you might have to pay someone to hold the camera for you, however it might work. Um, so some of those costs can disappear into the into that void of actually just making the videos. But these guys probably started out in the right way and, and most of the really popular YouTubers, YouTubers appear to have started out in a in, the, in a similar way of um, doing it as a hobby first, getting into it and, and letting the, the channel be driven by passion and then the, the business rewards come on later on in the game rather than starting out thinking, well, I'm going to be the next big hit and I'm going to be making millions of dollars a year and off you go only to find out, well, hang on, I'm not getting any audience and therefore no views and therefore no money. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of the dream, isn't it, <laughs> to turn your passion into a into a job that you can potentially earn a living off. Um, but obviously it didn't come across on radio, but what we could see in that interview then, and you can check it out on YouTube when you get the chance. Um, so if you just look up ASAP Science on YouTube and then do the search for the science behind ASAP Science, you can watch that clip in full. But what we could see here in the studio is that um, they actually did all their stuff from their house. So they had their piano set up, they had their art studio set up, their uh, voiceover um, recordings was actually done in their wardrobe. <laughs> That's why they were referring to towels and, and blankets and things because um, what they actually do is they put up blankets when they start to record the voiceovers. Um, so, yeah, it's not like they're coming out of Hollywood and, you know, have all the... Um, the the great stuff to be able to use they're creating youtube clips from from their house and that's an absolute passion for them you could see and, and they just want to teach people about science and so like we were saying if you come from the start and you want to make money out of it probably going to fail but if it starts as a passion as a hobby and then you find that it's getting popular then maybe you can turn it into something and we've actually got um a person from australia vanessa hill that has recently just done that and she's another fellow um masters of science communication graduate from the australian national university and i've just recently um started doing the masters of science communication so it's a great course for um science communicators out there um and she's actually now been taken up by pbs and has created a youtube video channel called braincraft um and it's great she's got she's getting a lot of followers um her stuff's being promoted by some of the big uh facebook science sites such as science alert which has over six million viewers 
Um, so yeah, it's possible that it can happen. And Vanessa came from the Australian National University. She then got a job through the CSIRO, and she's now making it big in America. Um, I don't know <laughs> if she's actually earning millions of dollars, but um, she's actually doing doing really really well. So congratulations, Vanessa! Proof that you can actually make a living from YouTube, which is great to see. Um, so to finish off, I want to thank Dustin for for coming into the studio and talking about his research into how do you create a popular YouTube channel. And Dustin, do you ha- actually have any aspirations to create a popular YouTube channel yourself? I, I really enjoy science communication, but I'm also really enjoy research. So trying to divide up the time is, especially at the moment, finishing off my PhD, trying to find any time to do that. Probably not in the immediate future, but it'd be a bit of fun to work on afterwards as a hobby on the side of my main research. Yeah. Yeah, so I think we'll definitely have to bring Dustin back to chat about his PhD as well. He's about to, um, I'm going to say about to submit his PhD thesis. He's probably going to slap me after the show though, um, because you never say that to a PhD student. Um, so yeah, Dustin is doing some fascinating work in the field of, of wildlife and, um, taking, I guess, photos and, and, um, and video footage of, of wildlife in their natural settings. So that's something that we might talk about in another show on another day. So just to recap, what makes a popular science video on YouTube? This was an article that was in the conversation recently based on findings from the Public Understanding of Science, which is a journal. It was written by Dustin Wellborn, who's joining me in the studio, and Dr. Will Grant from the Australian National Centre, for the public awareness of science at the ANU. Number one, choose your audience. Choose your target audience. Number two, deliver it in style. Number three, stay focused. Make sure that the topic you pick is the topic you keep picking into the future. Get to the point. We were talking about, you know, making sure the first 30 seconds of your clip isn't just branding because we already have to watch a 30-second ad before that. And so you don't want to annoy your audience too much. Be part of the community, so that means sort of understanding a bit more about what YouTube is all about and not just saying it seems to work for other people, so it's going to work for me. Um, And then I've got to turn my page over. Give the audience an anchor and be a person, not a company. So what we've found out from this this, uh, discussion today is that the most successful YouTube uh, channels have been the ones that are being personalized and you can actually see the person that's running it. So you have been listening to another hour of the Fuzzy Logic Science Show on 2XXFM 98.3. Thank you, Dustin, for joining me in the studio today and sharing your knowledge about uh, creating popular YouTube channels. It was great and hopefully fascinating to our audience. And thanks for having me. And apologies for having to pay Gangnam Style on, on the radio, but I felt I had to. With over 2 billion uh, YouTube viewers and breaking YouTube, it's certainly worth noticeable, but I did stop at playing Justin Bieber. So hopefully you'll um, you'll bring me back for that one. So thank you for joining me, and tune in next Sunday from eleven thirty to get your daily do- oh, weekly dose of science on a Sunday on the Fuzzy Logic Science Show. 